When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, I'm Tom Butler. I'm Brendan Duffy. And I'm Tom Wheatley. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to the James Bond A to Z podcast. Join us as three lifelong 007 fans go on a journey of discovery. We're on a mission to discover everything we can about cinema's greatest spy films. By learning about the people who made them, in front of the camera and behind. The James Bond A to Z podcast is in no way affiliated with James Bond Eon, or the Fleming Estate. We've researched each episode as extensively as we can, but our information does come from a range of sources. We do our best to make sure the information is accurate, but sometimes we can get it wrong. If you want to correct us on something or add some more detail, email us at podcast at jamesbondatoz.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the James Bond A to Z podcast, where we have reached the letter K. My name is Tom Butler and joining me as we explore the filmmakers and characters from the world of 007 that fall under the 11th letter of the alphabet is a man who almost certainly knows what chemical element is represented by the letter K. It's Mr. Brendan Duffy. Do do I have to answer that? Yeah, go on. Do you know it? Potassium. Uh, No. Yeah. Potassium. Potassium. Yes. Bananas. and by, exactly. And by his side is a man who can probably tell me the name of the band whose debut album, K, was released in 1996 and featured the hit singles Grateful When You're Dead, Hey Dude and Tapvar. It's Mr. Tom no. Wheatley. No, I'm not going to be able to answer that, am I? I don't, I don't know, know it. Music. Brendan, you got it? No. Top Loader. Co- Cooler Shaker. No. Cooler Shaker. Top a... Why don't you give us Hush? I'd have known it with Hush. I don't think it was on their debut album. I think it was a single, but Fair enough. there we go. Um, so, Definitely not top loader. <laughs> if this is the first time you've listened to the James Bond Aid Said podcast, uh, we don't normally start with a question uh, and answer <laughs> round. But welcome. This is a, I like a it. That, more of those, please. <laughs> this is a uh, one of our letter episodes in which we'll be talking about the uh, some of the key creatives and characters from the 007 films, all whose names start with the letter K. And we're going to be mixing things up a little bit this week. It's not all in strictly alphabetical order, but. To kick things off, let's hand over to Brendan, who's going to tell us all about a composer who worked on a Timothy Dalton film. Mm. So K is for Cayman, Michael Cayman, and he was a composer who was born in 1948 in New York. He had a, a fantastic career, spanning a lot of films, a lot of films that you, you both of you are going to know and love but not maybe not realize it was him that composed them he started off young he actually started playing the piano from the age of two and um and then that progressed he 
went on to study oboe at the Juilliard School. And the Juilliard School is like where loads of famous composers go, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. While he was there, he formed the New York Rock and Roll Ensemble, which their main aim was to fuse together rock and classical music, something that he would do throughout the rest of his career. They made an album called Roll Over, which is which was regarded very well. They did a lot of collaborations and they were around for seven years. And then after they split, Michael Kamen was then invited to write a score for the ballet, for the Harkness Ballet, to which David Bowie attended the premiere. And he saw that. He was impressed. He recruited him as the music director of his Diamond Dogs tour. Wow. Mm. So... Again, Bowie's someone who experiments with all genre of music, so it, it worked well. So that became what Michael Kamen, like I said, his career was rock and classical music, fusing it together, a bit of his sort of, it was his specialism, which meant he went on to work with Pink Floyd, Queen, Eric Clapton, Roger Daltrey, Aerosmith, Tom Petty, Bon Jovi, Brian Ferry, Eurythmics, Metallica, Def Leppard, The Cranberries, Brian Adams, Coldplay, Sting, Guns N' Roses and Kate Bush. So Wow. He was highly regarded in the world of music. With that, he, he got a, a big following and obviously he moved into films. So in terms of the films that he, he scored, Brazil, one, that was one of his early ones, Three Musketeers, Highlander, X-Men, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Thieves which is obviously huge and that's the one that most of... Did they release a soundtrack called Robin Hood, Prince of Themes? Because that would have been really quite... I'd buy that. Yeah, you can say it all you want, but I'm going to edit that out. So your little Uh, witticism won't be in there. I'll edit it back in. (laughs) Um, He did the Lethal Weapon series, the first three diehards, the Iron Giant, Memento, and also in terms of TV, one of my favourite scores, the Band of Brothers uh, oh, wow. series on, on HBO which is an excellent it sets the tone just right but of course in between that in 1989 when they were making Licence to Kill they were looking for a composer because if you remember if you go back to the John Barry episode he well, I can't remember what he choked on he choked on something didn't he he got injured his throat yes. got injured he had to have throat surgery so he was unavailable for Licence to Kill so uh, Michael Kamen was was hot property at the time, so they got him on board to sort of complement that sound that Barry had created and, and add to it. So in terms of the theme song, he originally planned for it to be an instrumental, much like on the Majesty's Secret Service, so it would have been just an instrumental. And he got Eric Clapton and Vic Flick. Now Vic Flick is the guitarist on the original James Bond theme. He got them in and they wrote a theme. And uh, they even shot a video for it, gave it to the producers, and they instead decided to go with Gladys Knight. Oh, what a shame. Now, it's been lost. No one knows where it is, apart from Michael Kamen. And unfortunately, Vic Flick says, The track was excellent. There have been many attempts to find the recording and the video we shot, but to no avail. With the passing of Michael Kamen, the chances of finding it are slim. Many Bond aficionados are trying to find it, and I wish you luck. So apparently it's out there, probably somewhere in those massive archives. Mm. That's that's that sort of that exciting hidden world of 
these things that existed a long time ago that will never happen for younger people, will it? Because no. anything that ever gets made now is instantly uploaded to something, and you can Onto the cloud it straight away. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. That's um, that's that's something that young, young people will never quite understand in future generations. <laughs> is it what is this old, old grumpy men podcast? <laughs> oh, you just got me thinking. You in my day. Thinking. <laughs> um. But I would love to have a listen to that. Um, that w- it would be great. So his his soundtrack. I mean, it's really the problem with him doing so much, working with so many people, and these these films is in terms of interviews, he rarely talks about *License to Kill* because there's, everything else. There's is so much to talk about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So no one really asks about that. So you can't really get an interview from him. And sadly, he passed away in 2003. So. Other other stuff he did, he did conducted music for the Olympic Games in '96 for the Summer Olympics and 2002 for the Winter Olympics. Cayman was diagnosed with MS in 1996, but he continued working. Unfortunately, he had a heart attack in 2003, so he he sadly died. But his career is is quite understated, under the radar, isn't it? Hmm. But once mm. you know that he composed Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, Robin Hood. And license to kill. It makes sense because they've definitely got a, a similar sound. Definitely, it, probably. There's a lot of those films. It's sort of an era where there was only a few composers that you really. It's still the case. Like you probably hear of one or two composers every year that everyone knows, and then the rest of them just sort of sit in the background and do all of the work for all of the films that you you like get Oscar awards and stuff like that, but never get anything for the the song. So uh, yeah, it's uh, he's an un unsung hero of cinema absolutely yeah interesting that he had an origin like john barry's as well with a with a group that um mm. fused pop music with classical music yeah yeah uh, i suppose the other thing as well is with a lot of composers in the music industry that you sort of need a film or a project like bond to be note recognized because what you create becomes a very memorable theme if you're just doing film by film by film that it never becomes a memorable theme which is a shame but um the way the industry works mm-hmm. so from one license to kill to another i think oh we've got another license to kill thing i think so it always happens in the episodes yeah. <laughs> k is for crest milton crest so um yeah that was literally my link from License to Kill oh, <laughs> to sorry. License to Kill. Um, and so Milton Crest is one of the antagonists of License to Kill and he's played by an actor called Anthony Zerber. And um, if you remember, Crest is a drug smuggler who works under the cover of being a marine researcher. And we will cover uh, Anthony Zerber and License to Kill and Milton Crest in a lot more detail when we get to the episode uh, for L is for license for kill. So, but here are just a few things that you need to know about Milton Crest before we get to that episode. So, he's loosely inspired by a character of the same name from Ian Fleming's short story, The Hildebrand Rarity. And I think you'll probably agree that he's best known for having one of the most brilliantly ridiculous and gory deaths in all of James Bond history. Do you remember this one? Yeah, the, 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 it gets put in a. It's not micro. Is it microwave? No, it's a decompression chamber. And, same thing. Same thing yeah. would happen. And it explodes. And Sanchez, yeah, Sanchez <laughs> compresses him or decompresses him and his head explodes. Yeah, and he's got that brilliant, like, 
exploding head uh, a bit like <laughs> live and let die actually thinking about it isn't it mm. um mm. at yeah. the ending end of that but anthony zerber actually is a, a, a quite an uh, like a, a busy actor actually he made his movie debut in the film cool hand luke with fantastic paul, film yeah paul newman and he also starred in the omega man i think that's charlton heston isn't it that's the original mm. i am legend yeah. film he appeared in the Molly Maguire's. Do you remember that one from the Sean Absolutely Connery no episode? No, no, that was one of Sean Connery's non-Bond films in the seventies. The Molly Maguire's, and he also starred in Papillon as well. Um, mm. uh, the I can't remember who's is that Paul Newman as well. I can't remember. Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen yeah. That's it. Yeah. So after Licence to Kill, Anthony Zerber appeared in Star Trek Insurrection as Vice Admiral Doherty. And he also played Councillor Hammond in um, The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions. And I'd literally never even connected him with being the same person as Milton Crest. I can't remember either of those films anyway, so (laughs) I'm definitely not going to revisit. There's a scene where Neo is in Zion and he's like on the back, on on like a balcony thing. And he's like looking out over Zion and this like Zion elder comes up to him, starts talking to him. Anyway, that was, that was Anthony Zerba. So um, yeah, Mm. quite an interesting actor. Done a lot of stuff, still, still working. Uh, I think it's been a few years since his, his his last major role though. But um, yeah, what what do we think of Milton Crest? It's an awful, awful baddie. He's sort yeah. of got this weird realm between sort of comedy. He's, he's, he's like a comedy baddie, but he's not really that funny. Um, he's not in any way menacing. He just seems... Uh, there's a lot of characters in that film yeah. that don't really... They, they've got too many characters. They should have like focused on just two good baddies, but they throw a lot more in, and he's he sort of gets the the, the short straw when it comes to baddies because he's not really doesn't really serve any purpose. He's a he's slimy like a, creep, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He's like a video game, isn't it, where he's like just one of the middle bosses that you just have to get out of the way before yeah. you get to the big boss at the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's Milton Crest. K is for Khan, Kamal Khan. So again, this is a character that we'll talk about in quite a lot of depth when we get to the Octopussy episode. Um, but I'll just a little bit about Kamal Khan. He is the, well, not I suppose, is he the main baddie in Octopus? He's, he's half of the main baddies, isn't he? Because you've also got General Orlov, who is sort of his confusing baddie associate. So Kamal Khan is like this Afghan prince who has a forgery business and he's working with General Orlov to set up some sort of... Uh, I can never remember how this works. He's trying to set off a, a nuclear bomb in an airbase in, in, in West Germany, and he wants to start sort of Holocaust in Western Europe. Octopus is a confusing film. It I, is. I, I, I do need to... I, I actually tried to read through some plots, and I got lost reading the plots. So I thought, well, I'm going to leave this until we actually do the episode on Octopus. I'm not going to try and uh, work it all out. But he is... It's a sort of strange character. Octopus, he's got a lot of... Um, issues with it, especially with the confusing storyline, the intertwining series of plots, the multiple baddies. In many ways, they've probably put him in as a counterpart to Bond because they're both meant to be these sort of debonair, cool men that like the nice, finer things in life. But he he doesn't really he, he's not really like Bond. 
in any way. There's the weird intertwining story with uh, Octopus herself as well, who he's, he's using as a front for his schemes, his fake jewellery schemes. But yeah, I think as a character, we'll go into more depth of him on uh, when we do the Octopus episode. But um, yeah, he's 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 kind of I'd say memorable, but not not for any good reason. He's definitely not down as one of the best baddies in a Bond film. Uh, he does have quite a memorable memorable death uh, in the as a plane sequence in um, Octopussy, where eventually Roger jumps out of the plane and leaves Kamal Khan to crash into I think it's the side of a mountain, might be a hill. But interestingly, when I was reading about this, uh, apparently a lot of the, the, the scenes from that were used in Goldeneye, or some of the scenes were used in Goldeneye, reused because they weren't actually used in Octopussy. Kamal Khan was played by Louis Jourdain, who is a French actor who, he was fairly popular in, in France. He did a lot of films in his early years, and his most notable films that he did uh, outside of French films, because I don't know any of them, are the the Parodying Case, which is a Hitchcock film from 1947, uh, and he was also in Gigi. Is, have you ever seen Gigi? Nope, no. Very, very famous film from the 50s. Uh, he was he was in that, and he he had quite a big role. He sort of started getting himself into these leading man roles, debonair leading man roles. But then, of course, he was in Octopussy. His career when he was working in Hollywood after his earlier days in um, French films wasn't quite as illustrious. They did do quite a few things at the time that were probably seen as quite good, but there's not many that's been remembered in the modern day. He kind of moved into TV a bit more. So um, he was in episodes of Charlie's Angels and Columbo, um, episodes of um, uh, Count Dracula at at the time. Um, So yeah, didn't do a lot. And then later on, he started... You might see him sometimes. He's kind of turns up in seventies, eighties films that really aren't very good. So he was in um, Return of Swamp Thing and the original Swamp Thing, which are not very good films. I remember watching them in the eighties, um, and they're not very good. But he did. He kind of sort of his career went a bit off the rails in the eighties as he got a bit older. But um, he was born in uh, nineteen twenty one. Um, died in two thousand and fifteen. He didn't really do a lot um, in the later part, latter part of his career. That is Kamal Khan. K is for Kincaid. Now we're talking. Yes, now we're talking. The character in Skyfall. So he's the gamekeeper at Skyfall Estate from when Bond was was a young boy. And he plays a crucial part in where they get to Skyfall and uh, Bond and Emily to protect themselves against Silver. So they go to Skyfall for refuge and... Kincaid takes a a liking to M as well. For the amount of time that that Kincaid's on screen, he makes such a big impression. Uh, It's very good. So he he enables them to batten down the hatches, board everything up, get the shotgun out, and then guide them through an escape tunnel that gets them to the chapel, which essentially saves... It doesn't save M, sadly, but... um, And then they get to confront uh, Silver. Yeah, so Silver kills M and dies in Bond's arms. But Spoilers. in turn, <laughs> it's been out 10 years. If you haven't watched it, it's your fault. <laughs> and you listen to a James Bond podcast. <laughs> um, so, yeah, great character. Uh, played by Albert Finney. Now, Albert Finney was born uh, in 1936 and he went to RADA and he's a, a huge British actor that's spanned many decades. Institution. Known, yeah. He's known for Saturday night and Sun- Sunday morning. Annie, 
Miller's Crossing, Erin Brockovich, Big Fish, Born Ultimatum, Born Legacy. And the last film, last fi- his final screen role was actually as Kincaid. Barbara Broccoli said, Albert Finney is the most extraordinary man, sexy, wonderful and delightful. I think he's going to be very well remembered in this role because of the relationship he has with Bond. It goes way back and he appears just in the nick of time. It's delightful to have him in a Bond film because Cubby desperately wanted to work with him. And of course, I've wanted to work with him, but we've never had the opportunity until now. He is a legend, a fantastic actor, and just funny, charming, extraordinary, and dead sexy. Be still my beating heart. Mm. Full of praises for uh, Albert Finney. And he himself said, I think it's a terrific film. Sam Mendes has done a really great job. And I think Daniel Craig, the third time he's played the part, really fits the jacket snugly and has a nice edge to him. Which is what we said about Connery and Goldfinger, isn't it? It's pretty much what we said. Just replace mm. the name, Daniel Craig for Sean Connery. The the third time, you know, it seems to... That's when they really get going. Third time's a charm. Yeah. Um, so Albert Finney declined a CBE in 1980 and a knighthood in 2000, and he said royally bestowed honours are perpetuating snobbery. Absolute legend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, sadly, he died of a chest infection in 2019. We will cover more on Kincaid when we get to Skyfall and there's not enough time to go into detail with Albert Finney's career because it's vast and extensive. He's great. He's great in that. I think I think in Skyfall he gets a really good chance to act properly because all of his scenes are done in that really nice Scottish setup where there's no distractions. Mm-hmm. You can imagine if you put Albert Finney in a Piers Brosnan film he wouldn't he wouldn't have been able to be as good as he is in that film. Mm-hmm. It's like the perfect role for him. It, it, it's, it's almost like there's only what three characters acting throughout the whole thing, so it's really a chance for some some good acting. So it's a perfect opportunity for him, and that's probably why it's lasted so long as being well remembered in that role. It's Definitely great because see him Inspector. No, it's great because you believe it when it's his domain. It's like they're entering entering where he's been for years. And it does feel yeah. like that. It, it feels lived in. It feels like he's there. You know, it's. it's Why it's is great. he still there? He's the caretaker, is the gamekeeper, isn't he? So, right. But nobody else lives there. No. And nobody else visits there. It's just like a derelict house that he's been told to stay at. Well, it's his loyalty to the family, isn't yeah. it? I guess it speaks volumes about the, the parents of, of Bond and, and, and the sort of people they were that they. I guess mm. that's what they're trying to say. Um, he's, he's got one shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he worked with Harry Saltzman hadn't early in his career, hadn't he? Um, yeah, Finney. And I think he, was he not considered for Bond at one point? Perhaps. I mean, who wasn't at that point? That's the thing. Uh, he, you know, started making a career for himself in film in the sixties. So yes, you would. I... Sid James. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that film, um, the Saturday Night Sunday Morning. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but that I is have, yeah. like an absolute. In, classic of mm-hmm. British cinema well worth seeking out yeah um are you going to mention the elephant in the room with Kincaid or I thought we'd cover that, that for Skyfall? Skyfall otherwise we'll just be covering it again won't we yeah okay well when you get to Skyfall there's some, a lot more interesting information about Kincaid to discuss I guess yeah there is I've got it in front of me but I thought we'll cover it twice so save it save yeah, it save we've it. got a lot to get through today keep the powder dry hey do you guys want to play a game Oh, do yes. I? Yes. Here we go. Right. I say, I say yes now. When we play it, I'll probably say I wish I hadn't played that game. But yeah, let's give it so a go. When I was putting this episode together, I know I was thinking about the letter K, um, and for some reason that led me to Kevin Bacon. So I thought, mm. 
on some of the people that we cover on this episode that we would play a game of uh, not, six... not a name that normally gets associated with Bond, <laughs> but six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Do you know how that that works? Mm. Yeah, but explain for anyone that doesn't. All right. So basically, the theory is is that you can get to the actor Kevin Bacon via his co-stars within six moves. Any actor you can get to Kevin Bacon. In fact, I think it's even like any person you can get to Kevin Bacon. So basically, you've got to try and find the link between any person. Well, what, maybe like that's pushing it. My auntie. Yeah. <laughs> no, but let's just say actors. Anyway, it, it, you've got to name the film, they're their co-star, and then their co-star, what they starred in, and then, you know, link it back to yes, Kevin Bacon. Yes. Does that even make sense? Yes. yes. I, yeah. I, I seem to, when, when we were at uni, I think we played it, we didn't have to play it with Kevin Bacon. You could play it with other people as well, which made it a little bit more interesting. I don't know why Kevin Bacon somehow won be- this. Yeah. He's become the guy, hasn't it's, he? Surely it's going to be there's going to be a come a point soon where people are like, "Who is Kevin Bacon?" And they can <laughs> there, it'll be someone new. It'll be like um, six degrees of James Corden. James Corden. I oh, mean, not with the amount God. of EE adverts that Kevin Bacon does. I think everyone's still going to be aware of him. Yeah, but you can't link to him through EE adverts. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. you can't. <laughs> Let, let's cut to the chase. Right. Okay. Let's try and get to Albert Finney. From Albert Finney to Kevin Bacon, who's got? Who's going to put their bid in for the least amount of moves? I'm trying to remember I've, what the moves are. I've uh, got, um, I've got four, three, four. I've got two. I've got, got two got... as well. Yeah. What's yours, Wheatley? Oh no, hold on. No, I think I might have two as well. well yeah, I've got yours. two. Yeah, because I've got this one film that I always use. You just basically, when you play Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, you just have to have. There's like five films that you can use that always give you really easy options. Go on so then. I what's think yours? I've got two. Yeah. Go on, say it then. So, uh, Kevin Bacon was in Flatliners. Yes. Oh, Flatliners. Yes. <laughs> this, this is one of those films. You've got Flatliners, you've got Outsiders. If you can get someone through there, you're sorted. And then, with Julia Roberts and then Erin Brockovich. Albert Finney was in Erin Brockovich with Julia Roberts. That's what I had as well. What about you, Brendan? Uh, Kevin Bacon was in Black Mass. Oh, go on. With, with Johnny Depp. Yep. Who was in Court Bride. With Albert, with Albert Finney. Finney. Very good. That's good. I, I, wouldn't, I would not have known that. Yeah. Well, that was fun. Should we do it again? Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll save our, keep our powder dry though for a bit longer. Uh, let's move on. Okay. K is for Kleinman, Daniel Kleinman. So you will know who Daniel Kleinman is. He is the British filmmaker who has created the title uh, sequences for every James Bond film since Goldeneye up to No Time to Die, apart from Quantum of Solace. So, taking it right back again to Licence to Kill, did you know that Daniel Kleinman's first brush with James Bond came through Licence to Kill because he directed the music video for Gladys Knight's Licence to Kill in 1989? Before we get to that, then, let's have a quick look back at Daniel Kleinman's life. So he was born in the, on 23rd of December 1955 in London, while he was at school, he was in a band called Bazooka Joe, which turned out to be quite an important, well, not important, but just an interesting, a, they hold an interesting place in music history. Um, the lineup at various times included uh, Adam Ant from Adam and the Ants and also Arabella Weir. And they were the headliners when the Sex Pistols played their first ever live show. So it's mm. a fun little link to Daniel Kleinman for you. So he's part of a um, creative agency called Rattling Stick now. And so according to his bio on the Rattling Stick web- website, he uh, Kleinman attended Hornsey Art School and then went on to work as an illustrator. 
um, collaborating on storyboards with directors um, and that working on the uh, sort of music video industry, which was burgeoning at that point in the early 80s. And in his first music video that he worked on or directed was in 1983, Crushed by the Wheels of Industry by Heaven 17. That's according to his official bio on Rattling Stick. But according to IMDb, he actually worked on Adam and the Ants Ant music video in 1980 before that. So I'm not sure what to believe on, on those, but both of them very big, important videos. In the 80s, he directed more than 100 music videos for acts, including Madonna, Van Halen, Simple Minds, Prince, Fleetwood Mac and ZZ Top. Um, And then in the 1990s, he moved into directing adverts and commercials for clients, which include Guinness, Xbox, Chrysler, Johnny Walker, Sony, Audi, Boddington's, John Smith's, Super Noodles, Jurex and John West. Um, And he's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> his style became he became known in the commercials world for being someone who was a pioneer with uh, visual effects and cgi and one of his most famous adverts was that galaxy advert with the cgi audrey hepburn i don't know if you remember that. hated one. it hated it yeah really annoying <laughs> he's also really well known for or according to his bio his best known uh, work is an advert called um know it to love which was for guinness which is the word evolution spelled backwards and i don't know if you remember this advert but it was it was kind of brilliant it was four guys or three or four guys in a pub they drink a taste take a, a sip of guinness and then they regress into cavemen and then they regress into monkeys and then they regress into like sea yeah, creatures when i was working for an advertising agency around that time um they when was this Oh, one yeah, two thousand and something, two thousand and six. Yeah, I, I was working for an advertising agency, and they used that for every pitch as like the best way to do advertising, the best advert out at the moment. Yeah, Guinness it, always did that though. They always had they had such amazing adverts. To. Yeah, yeah. And so that one, you know, it took them all right back to the beginning of time, and then it was good things come to those who wait. You know, it was yeah. going to take millions of years to evolve to get Guinness, but yeah. Anyway, that won a prize at the Cannes Film um, Grand Prix. That's the advertising. Uh, can not the actual can film festival uh he also other adverts he worked on he worked on the m s uh christmas advert with paddington bear do you remember that one where he discovered santa on the roof but it was just a burglar no no i don't yeah, remember that, that was one. only that, that was only a couple of years ago the john west advert uh where there was a bear fighting a fisherman for the uh the fish do you remember that one yeah remember that one yeah, yeah. that was a good one another john west advert uh and in 1994 <laughs> he directed the tv movie smashy and nicey the end of an era which is obviously a Harry Hill, uh, Harry Hill, Harry Enfield. Um, Interesting you should bring up Harry Hill because I'm going to mention him later on. Very strange. <laughs> uh, I didn't even know there was a TV episode about that. I watched no. that. Yeah, it sounds quite good. Smashy and nicey. And it cuts like to the beginning of their career and there's loads of um, celebrities in it as well. Sounds really good. Right, on to Bond. After Morris Binder died in 1991... Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli were looking for someone to take over. They had been particularly impressed with the video that had been done for License to Kill's music video. And and if you watch it now, it is brilliant. It's got Gladys Knight in a suit. But then behind her, there's like loads of like Bond type visuals. It's it's really, really well done. So he was brought in to um, work on GoldenEye, which is something we covered very recently. So see previous episode for what he did on that but that was his very first ever title sequence and actually although we know him as the bond title director 
he only makes titles for James Bond film. He's, he doesn't do them for any other films, only for the James Bond films, which I thought was quite interesting. Mm. So in an interview with Art of the Titles, Daniel Kleinman said, I remember Michael asking me, do you think we should keep the girls? Should we have guns in it? There'd, there, there'd been some question, now that Morris had died, whether the style should carry on or whether it should change. And my answer was that we should keep all the visual tropes that Morris had set up and kind of update it. And that was the answer they wanted to hear. So I did get the job. I think we covered a bit of that when we did Goldeneye. Mm. He is a Bond fan. He says that Goldfinger was his very first James Bond film. Obviously, you remember Goldeneye that covers like the fall of the Soviet Union. And it's just a fantastic title sequence. Um, He updated the gun barrel at that time as well, using CGI for the first time. And interestingly, uh, uh, someone called Eddie Kidd uh, doubles for Brosnan in the titles of Goldeneye. I don't know if if you knew that, but good on this episode for Kafer. Did did he do Die uh, Die Another Day titles? Uh, Yes, he did, yeah. Right, okay. Oh dear. Got a bit bit trigger happy with the CGI then, didn't he? (laughs) So the CGI uh, in that time, 1995, you know, it really was a fledgling industry. And he said it was a really painful process to put those titles together for GoldenEye. He said the sequences edited in an analogue edit suite first, then copied by eye on a high resolution digital film compositing machine, which at the time was very, very slow and a cumbersome way of creating optical effects. Then he did uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, which we'll cover in another episode. And that's the one where it's everything's like X-ray and you can see like, yeah, through things and all that sort mm. of stuff. Mm. The World Is Not Enough has the oil theme um, because of the film, the oil pipelines of the film. Yeah. And so it's got all that iridescent stuff going on. And then Die Another Day, obviously, we covered recently. That's all the scorpions and the torture and all that sort of stuff. So... Talking about doing Casino Royale, he said at the time I did Casino Royale, the technology had caught up and I was able to work in a more spontaneous and flexible way. So I think I started enjoying the process more. I certainly enjoyed the creative part of Goldeneye, Casino Royale and Skyfall as I feel they were closest to what I had in my mind. So we covered his titles for Casino Royale on that episode. So you can listen back to that. He missed out on Quantum of Solace because Mark Forster wanted to bring in his own team and he brought in these guys called MK12. We'll cover that again uh, on Quantum of Solace. But he he was full of praise for them. He said that he thought they did a great job. So there's no bad blood there. He did Skyfall, which has uh, Bond's death. Um, so it's this sort of life flashing before your eyes type thing um, in that one. And we'll cover that when we get to Skyfall. And then he obviously, he did Spectre and then no time to die and he also shot the music video for billy eilish's no time to die song so we'll cover no time to die uh in more depth when we get there so he was asked what the sequences to making a classic bond title sequence uh, sequence and he says there are a lot of things to put in the main titles to ensure it's jam-packed with stuff and you have to be able to enjoy it initially without knowing all these references on the first viewing but I think diehard fans will enjoy some of those references. I'm sure there will be people who will miss them the first time, but will get them eventually. And I think that's true, especially with No Time to Die. Um, having seen that film a few times, there's stuff I no- didn't notice in the first time I saw those titles that totally make sense now, mm. but don't on the first watch. And actually, the 007 website put up a big in-depth interview with Daniel Kleinman talking about the No Time to Die title. So I would recommend seeking that out it's called roll the titles so like i said he doesn't shoot them for anyone else he said i've never really taken a great deal of notice of titles title sequences i didn't set out to do them and i don't do any 
other than Bond, which I do for fun. I'm really an advertising director and therefore shoot a lot of disparate types of things. I suppose I don't think of myself as a title sequence director, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that about him. I just assumed he did lots of different ones. And it was only when I looked at his IMDb that it sort of came clear that he doesn't. So, yeah, that's Daniel Kleinman, which I think, you know, I think he's a worthy successor to Morris Binder, if you ask me. Yeah, he definitely moved it on into a digital age, didn't he? Yeah. A few hiccups, but Morris Binder had uh, hiccups as well along the way. So he definitely, um, I think the fact that if he'd just done Brosnan era stuff, he wouldn't have been so, so sort of well re- remembered for what he'd done. But because he'd moved into the the um, Craig era, he did some fantastic stuff in, in there. And you can really see the development of his skills over that period. Yeah, I think one thing I would say is I pref- I think I like Casino Royale's titles the best. I think it's excellent. Yeah, yeah. It was something different, mm. but it was it was in the style of a Bond title. But it was it was just very it it was almost it was simple, but interesting. And I think that's the key to doing titles well because you've got if you've got the technology to do it. But because at that time, like those titles, they're not like people weren't watching it going these titles are groundbreaking. They were just great. Like it wasn't like he was trying to throw in CGI to make it look amazing. He didn't mm-hmm. need to. He just yeah. made it good. And that's the key to it. Once you start making these titles and die another day, throwing in CGI that, you know, yeah, okay, you can do it, but you don't need to do it. It's unnecessary. By Casino Royale, he kind of got to the point where I think he was confident with what he was doing and he just knew how to do it well to, to create a great title sequence. The Casino Royale one's got a touch of Saul Batter about it as well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah it's, it just ticks so many boxes. It's sort of like retrospective, but it's modern, mm. but it's smart. It really ties in nicely with the story. It's just a really... I imagine he uses that as his main sort of, you know, showreel, just because it just ticks all the boxes perfectly. Yeah. Whereas, you know, look at some of the other ones, and you can you can look at bits in Tomorrow Night Dies and go, oh, that looks quite nice. But, you know, we all remember the Casino Royale title sequence and yeah. fondly. We don't necessarily remember the, the other ones. The, the other thing we need to remember is he, he's he got a song that he's got to work with and he's got a very dynamic, different yeah. song with, with the Casino Royale. That's true, yeah. yeah. Poor, poor Clyman trying to do uh, Madonna's song. <laughs> <laughs> what, and it, what is this? <laughs> oh, she just sent it to us. They often get, He often gets the script and he says it, he, he starts to work on it from the script. And so these, yeah. there are occasions where he's come up with an idea and they've just completely gone in a different direction. I think the Skyfall one went through, through, went through quite a few different iterations, I think. I can imagine when you get a script, if you, if you work on that principle, you get the Casino Royale script, you just go, oh, thank goodness. Right, <laughs> yeah. I, can just do, I can really do something good. You get a Die Another Day script and you're like, I don't know. I don't know what to do here. Can anybody help me? No? Okay. Scorpions. Maybe the music will uh, g- bring me inspiration. Oh, no. <laughs> What's this? <laughs> nothing. Got nothing. <laughs> okay, K is for King, Electric King. I'm not going to go into too much depth for Electric King, not only because we're going to cover uh, the character when we get through to the world of Sun of, but also because I don't really want to go into too much depth with Electric King. She holds quite an interesting place in the Bond history because at the time where she appeared in the film, um, it was an interesting time for female characters in the Bond series. Um, Bear in mind, this is the point where Barbara Broccoli had been at the helm for a a couple of years, but 
um, after Goldeneye, she'd already started planning ahead. So she she was already putting together plans for The World is Not Enough um, and also putting together plans for how she wanted to work with the, the, the teams um, for the future Bond films. So Electra King is an interesting character in the Bond series in that she sort of shifts the story and the characters of females that are within the Bond films and turns them into more rounded characters. So Electra King, throughout the story of The World Is Not Enough, she starts off as the victim of the story. So she is the daughter of uh, Sir Robert King, who is blown up at MI5, and Bond starts investigating this bombing. And yes, as I say, she was the victim. But over the course of the film, you find out that uh, Reynard, the the main villain in The World Is Not Enough, is actually in cahoots with uh, Electra King. And not only in cahoots, but Electra King is actually the main baddie of The World Spoilers. Is Not Enough. Spoilers? Well, to be honest, one, I don't think you can spoil The World Is Not Enough. And two, yeah, if you're watching, if you're listening to this and thinking, oh, never heard of that film, might watch that. <laughs> um, good luck to you. Uh, so... Electra King, she, she, yeah, she's so in, in, in the. I think she's a very interesting character. She's very. Um, there's a lot of elements to her character that have never been really addressed in a Bond film. Maybe they've tried to in the past, but it wasn't until this point where they really sort of opened up the whole idea of a, a female character that had all these different dimensions and was the baddie of the whole thing, really, at, at, at the top level. Um, but she, and also. It, she probably paved the way for a lot of the characterization that happens later in the Daniel Craig era when um, female characters become a lot more uh, prominent and basically get as good as the roles as the, the, the male counterparts get. But she, uh, so, so Electric King was played by Sophie Marceau. Sophie Marceau is a uh, French actor. And again, I like, there's a lot of French films that Sophie Marceau acted in throughout her career. Uh, it wasn't till later on that she started working in films in the US um, and the UK. The real turning point, I think, for Sophie Marceau was Braveheart. So she plays the main um, uh, one of the main characters in in Braveheart. The, I, I, I'm trying to remember Braveheart, so I didn't actually research Braveheart when I was going through this. But does doesn't he have like already have a wife, and then he sort of falls in love with the French queen, which I think she plays. I think so. Yeah, I remember her from that film, but I, I don't. I, it's about four hours long, isn't that film? And I was about thirteen, so I didn't really pay attention to it. I saw it at the cinema. I didn't get home until about one in the morning. Um, she was also saying Anna Karenina, um, which I haven't seen. Uh, and then there's a, a Midsummer Night's Dream, and then she was in the world's not uh, the world's not enough. Uh, she later on, there's not really anything that she's been in later after the world's not enough that I've. I know of really so she's still acting up to, to, to today but there's not really a lot she's been she's kind of moved back to a lot of French films after that but yeah she never really reached the heights that she did in The World Is Not Enough um, but as I say uh, we'll go into more depth with Sophie Marceau and um, Electra King when we get around to The World Is Not Enough episode um, what do you think to her? Good character? Yeah I think they sort of uh, I think they could have made more of her being the proper main villain I think she has a great ending let's put it that way is this, um, I think if you'd done if you'd done the world is not enough in 2022, she would have been very good, and they would have really created a fantastic, mm. you know, rounded character for her. I think at that point, in in cinema and in in, in script writing, 
they tried, but it was still the script is very skewed towards Bond and you know is him being in charge of that thing. So there's a lot of subtext to it, like the whole um, Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm syndrome. So they talk. They they. I think they mentioned that or they suggest mm, it they in do, the yeah. film, and it's done in a very nineties way. In like it's very obvious, very simple. I don't think like nowadays. I think it'd be a lot more de- like complex, and it'd be more interesting. So I, I think the, the concept was right, but I think the time wasn't quite right, and they couldn't really do the character and the storyline justice based on the sort of you know gender um, focus that they had at the time. But um, yeah, she's definitely an important part of the Bond series, um, but still, you know, could have been better. When I think of Electric King. I don't think of the character. I think of what she does to Bond in the in that chair when she's tightening the thing, and, and Brosnan's face when he's. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I think of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, her, she's the son of Marcel Marceau, isn't she? The famous she, mine, mine. Is she? Yeah. I, I don't know much no, about Marceau Marceau. The, son, the daughter. The daughter. <laughs> um, yeah. That, okay. Yeah. That's. Uh, Let's yeah. clear that up. Yeah, she's the daughter of Marcel Marceau. I think the the famous mime. So um, that's okay. So Marcel Marceau, I find quite funny because I, I everybody of our era and age knows the name, but I don't think anybody really knows anything about Marcel Marceau. Like if you asked, I'd say, "What did he actually do?" You'd be like, "Mime," <laughs> which doesn't really answer why he's so famous and and well known. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to say I'm going to go into depth about Marcel Marceau in the stop uh, saying Marcel Marceau. <laughs> Well, I just want to, you know, Marceau, Marceau. <laughs> say cahoots again. I, I prefer it when you say cahoots. Do I, not, I, I, do I not say cahoots very often? I think I might, I'll, I'll start putting that in more. I'd like to say, I like, I'm sure I like the sure there's some cahoots going on in uh, Craig's films. <laughs> Did I say cahoots twice in this? Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to think who else we've got coming up that I could say cahoots in. I'll have a think. K is for cahoots. <laughs> it's a C, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. But all right, okay. So don't, don't yeah. That's we should have done that earlier. But but um, th- <laughs> all right, there we go. There's uh, that's that's uh, Mar- Marceau Marceau's um, daughter, <laughs> Sophie Marceau, play playing Electric King. K is for Kleb Rosa Kleb. And, uh, now we're cooking on gas. Well, we've already cooked on gas, haven't we? Because we've already covered her. Um, very recently, so, yeah. Yeah, very yeah. recently. Um, she is Spectre number three in the film From Rush With Love. She has a, a scheme that the scheme is to uh, basically kill 007 in the end by setting up a honey trap. Go back to From Rush With Love to find out all about that film. Uh, it ends in a character character's demise is really famous with the poison tip shoes where she's dressed as a chambermaid um in venice so played by lotta lenya who was actually born caroline with a k so that's good we're okay we're safe caroline wilhelmine charlotte blamauer in 1898 and she was an austrian american singer and actress mostly famous in the german-speaking world for being a singer uh, and singing with her first husband, Kurt Vile. So much so that uh, Louis Armstrong actually, when he recorded the song Mac the Knife, both he did a solo version and a duet with uh, Lotte Lenya, he added her name to the lyrics. And 
it's stuck ever since because when Bobby Darin recorded it, it also stuck. And I went and checked and, and saw if Robbie Williams's version, and he did, he kept it in there as well. So, yeah, her her name is, is in that song. So, yeah, she was, she was, she didn't do many films. In terms of films, English-speaking films, this was it, really. Um, she died in uh, 1981, but in the singing world, she's, like, huge. She's got so much respect and um, for that sort of era. Uh, but that's Lotte Lenya. What, 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 what do you think about Lotte Lenya's performance? We've talked about this before, but, I mean, she's... Really fantastic. She's excellent. Yeah. Really fantastic. Layered character. There's a lot of elements to... to she's like... She's she's like a block Bond villain, done well, mm. because she she serves multiple purposes. She's she's meant to be a scary character in her own sense, but she's also very scared of Blofeld, and you can see that in her. And she manages to be both menacing to Bond, mm-hmm. but also be kind of a, very scared of Blofeld, which really adds this really clever level of tension between Bond and. Blofeld throughout the, throughout the episode. Yeah, um, she's fantastic, and she's um, also just uh, so memorable as well. Yeah, well, like I think people who don't even know Bond, no club. The shoes help as well, but um, it's like something like we keep talking about this sort of be someone who stands out from the crowd. She's a villain. She's physically unique. You know, she's a small, petite person. She's mm. got a memorable face, yeah. and that introduction where she punches um, Red Granite in the stomach with the knuckle dusters yeah. just tells mm. you everything you need to know, doesn't it? Mm. She's like not scared of anything. She carries apart from dusters. Well, apart from Blofeld, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, just terrific. And to think that she's not really an actor as well. Like mm. that's an am- amazing piece of casting. Um, it is. Yeah. To, to come up with that from her, like even she, I think, said at the time, like I don't know why they've cast me. <laughs> mm. um, she, she always reminds me of. Around that period, there was this sort of older lady character that was quite prominent in uh, movies, and in even in Psycho, like his mother in Psycho, had, she rem- always reminds me of like she could have been his mother in Psycho. She's she's got that sort of menacing, dangerous quality that you don't quite understand throughout it, and it popped up in films quite a lot around that era. Uh, but it, she really did sort of her and. Uh, well, there was no woman in Psycho, but that that sort of character was very good. And she, Rosa Claire probably sits at the top of that pile as as that sort of menacing middle aged woman that is just just scary. Yeah, you know, she reminds me of now. You said that it's the Mama Fratelli in the the Goonies. Yeah, same sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then also the the woman in um uh, Superman three, the villain in in that, you know, that gets turned into a robot. No, I've got no idea. <laughs> I'm, I'm, we're talking about classic films here, and you're throwing in Superman 3. I think I what happens in Superman 3. Superman 3 is one with Richard Pryor in it. I lo- absolutely love that. It's probably one of my... I think it uh, might that is, my, that isn't, yeah, my favourite Superman film. Yeah. <laughs> I used to watch that so often. Um, anyway, that's a bit of a tangent. Yeah, That's what it's all about, tangents. Because <laughs> it means I can do less research. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and talking of someone we've just recently covered, Christassos. 
Case now for Christassos, talking. Aristotle Christassos, uh, played obviously by Julian Glover in 1981's For Your Eyes Only. Pre- see previous episode for more details on Christassos. But um, in summary, you know, he's, he's hired by the KGB to, to track down the ATAC. Um, and he is also inspired by a short story from the Ian Fleming, uh, inspired by a character from the Ian Fleming short story, Risico. But Christassos aside, we can't gloss over Julian Glover because Julian Glover is a complete screen legend so just in summary he was born in 1935 and he's a classically trained actor who studied at RADA his credits include are you ready Mm -hmm. Doctor Who The Avengers The Saint Blake Seven Quatermass in the Pit Star Wars Walter Donovan as Indiana in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade casualty he was in harry potter he played aragog he's grandmaster pycel in that, in game of thrones he was in merlin he's in the crown he's even in inside number nine he just an amazing amazing uh career this man has had yeah i mean you, you could have missed out some of them i don't think but just to give you a, 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 the, yeah. the breadth his, of... his amazing work in the last crusade and casualty will not be forgotten <laughs> Well, he's interestingly he's been in Casualty a couple of times and Holby City, or playing different characters each time. But um, oh, he must he must be good if he's in Holby City and Casualty. Shows his range. There you go. <laughs> he was di- different surgeries. He was uh, appointed a CBA, uh, commander of the Order of the British Empire in 2013. And did you know he actually screen tested to play James Bond for Live and Let Die? He mm, said, surprised me in the slightest. In an interview with Bond locations, he said, I was one of several people who were tested for James Bond. I think there are six of us. I didn't do a very good test, I'm afraid, and I didn't get the part. That was the end of that. At the time, all six of us knew it had to be Roger. When he was sitting there and waiting, he was a living, breathing James Bond. And indeed, we were right. I'm really glad that he got the part because he was a brilliant Bond and obviously he would go on to play um, mm. opposite but, Roger but as But if you think about that, obviously like, Glover wouldn't be right for the for the Roger Moore era, but Glover's a very Timothy Dalton actor. Mm. He, he, he could easily have fit into the Timothy Dalton mould. Yeah. And, and every time, like we say, you know, there's, there's always talk of um you know it always seems it was obviously going to be roger or obviously going to be Piers brosnan or whatever but they were they're always testing other people they mm-hmm. really do their homework to make sure they get the right person yeah so just talking about working on fewer eyes only julian glover said that was wonderful that was such a good time before that i'd had a terrible period out of work six months in all and i was in despair and i had to sell the house I thought the chances of me getting the Bond film were slim, but they gave me the part and I was cast as the main villain. When I got to Corfu, I was handed a thick brown envelope with money in it. I hadn't seen any proper money for two years. It was simply fantastic. And then on top of all that, I was working with Roger Moore, who was such oh. a witty man. And he, lovely. Absolutely he, lovely. He tells a story about Roger pranking him during the restaurant scene. Um, he... Uh, <laughs> Basically, they were recording right into the night. It was a night shoot. They were just kept doing the same scene over and over again. Roger got his wife onto set, put a fake moustache on her. And then during a scene while they were shooting, she tipped prawns down all down the front of Julian Glover. And Julian Glover obviously looked up like, what the hell is going on? And it was Roger's wife dressed up. Um, And apparently it really just set the tone for the rest of the night. And they're all just happy to carry on working through the night. So um, I know we're not talking about Roger Moore here, but... I mean, 
This whole yeah. podcast about Roger Moore, isn't it? I don't think anybody <laughs> listening to this is going to be annoyed that you've mentioned Roger. <laughs> right, should we play Kevin Bacon with Julian Glover? Oh, I was just going to say, yeah. Who wants to go first? Well, I've got, I think I've got three. I've got two. Uh, I've right. got three as well, so. Oh, actually, no, my mind's a three, isn't it? Yeah, mine's oh, a three. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. I bet we've all got the same one. Go on. Yeah, probably. Well, Brent, I, 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 Brendan, again, you go first. This is like, um, there's, as I say, there's certain films that have lots of people in. Obviously, the easiest way is going to be Last Crusade. Yes. So starting on Last Crusade and then going to uh, Untouchables. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you got Robert De Niro in Untouchables. Yeah. Then Sleepers. Yeah. With obviously Kevin Bacon. Very good. What about you, Brendan? Uh, Julian Glover was in The Fourth Protocol with Michael Caine. Yeah. Who was in Interstellar with John Lithgow. Yeah. Who was in Footloose with Kevin Bacon. (laughs) I've got Around the Houses on that one. Oh, I've got a good one then. I've got a different one. So Julian Glover was in Last Crusade with Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford was in Raiders of the Lost Ark with Karen Allen. And Karen Allen was in Animal House which features Kevin Bacon in one of his very first roles. Mm. Jesus Christ, I would not have got that. <laughs> you yeah. did not know that. You did not work that out for yourself. You, I did. You did a bit of research to get that. I did. You knew Animal House had those characters in it? Yeah. Impressive. It's one of his favourite films. <laughs> He's never mentioned it in his life. <laughs> There is, a, you can actually get it in two though, did you know? Because he's also in the film uh, Mirrors um, in 2008 with Kiefer Sutherland, who was in Flatliners. <sighs> Flatliners is a go-to, isn't it? Yeah. So know. that's the that's the, that's the quickest one, I think. Mm. But yes, let's move on. K is for Quok. Bert Quok. Now, Bert Quok is a very, very interesting Bond alumni because he's famous. He's, he's, he's sort of, at the time, he wasn't really famous for being in Bond. And in modern day times, he's not really famous for being in Bond. But, and, and the role that he has in Bond is sort of quite quite minor, really. And you only really, uh, if, if he was only in one Bond film, you probably wouldn't talk about it. But because he was in two, it actually becomes a little bit more interesting. Um, so Bert Kwok, um, he was in Goldfinger and You Only Live Twice. Um, and he didn't play big roles in those in those films. He played um, sort of secondary, almost sort of semi-extra roles in those films as... I can't try to remember what he was, he was, he was in both of those films. I've written it down here somewhere. Um, he's like, he's in um, Goldfinger. He is working in uh he's just like an uh, one of his guards and then you only live twice i think he's working in the the sort of labs as well he does have speaking parts but he doesn't have it doesn't say a lot he says like a few a few lines but he he sits in that bond alumni because he's been in more than one bond film as a different character um and that's it really for bond i mean he's not it's not like he's a massive character i can't go into depth about the the, the roles that he was playing because he didn't really do a lot but because he was at in those films at that point in time, he's got this weird sort of early pedigree for Bond. Really, he's he's well remembered. And whenever whenever we watch one of his films, we always shout Burt Quok <laughs> um, when he pops up. 
because he is great in them. He's just a just a fantastic character. But um, he's 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 famous for a lot more than the the bonds the bond stuff that he did. He died in two thousand and sixteen, and his earlier career was really quite interesting. He uh, oh, interestingly, sorry, I've, I've not mentioned the third. He was in Casino Royale as well, the nineteen sixty seven. I was going to say, yeah. there were, I'm sure there was a third one. Yeah, I think he plays like a general in that. Um, that film he's in the scene where there's a bunch of soldiers in a room i can't remember where, where. Yeah. that film's ridiculous but they, they, they all start rushing out of a room uh, and yeah. he's in there i can't but it's it's sort of uh the the sign of the times is when he, he he talks about this as well and i've got a couple of quotes later about it where when they were looking for a, an asian character he was just a go-to so when he he was in multiple films because they were just like oh let's get Burke walking again because he'll do it he's good but he his career is actually quite impressive a lot of the stuff he worked in he he moved around quite a lot uh, he was born in Warrington in Lancashire but only because his parents were on a business trip in Europe uh, he was actually brought up in Shanghai his uh, father was a textile tycoon um, as part of uh, the Tang Dynasty lineage and yeah he he went to a school called the jesuit mission school um which was apparently the far east's equivalent of eton in 1947 his his chinese parents went back to britain uh he, and he was sent to the united states to carry on his education um he graduated from college in maine and there was a big fortune behind the family as well but um that during uh 1949 revolution all the money was lost so all of this money that his family had that he, that he was going to acquire um, it was gone. So he went back to Britain to, to start acting. And he made his film debut in a film called uh, Wyndham's Way in 1957. Um, but one of the big films that he did was called The Inn of Sixth Happiness in 1958. And in that film, he starred with Ingrid Bergman. So it's quite a highly revered film at the time. Ingrid, Ingrid Bergman at the time was like, you know, the 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 best of the best really and he plays this character who is leading a prison revolt alongside uh, Ingrid Bergman and he, it's it's like a it's like an award-winning performance it's fantastic how he plays this this role it's really um it's a really good role for him and that's sort of how he started becoming famous so the other thing that he's really famous for possibly more so than Bond in fact definitely more so than Bond is playing uh, Kato Kato Fong in the uh, Inspector Clouseau films so the pink panther films um and if you if you're a listener to this who's about the same age as us or older you will remember the inspector clouseau films and there was a lot of them i think i can't remember how many i think it's like seven um pink panther films but Quat plays kato who works for inspector clouseau sort of this weird butler guy who <laughs> is most famous for basically fighting inspector clouseau randomly they, there's that one where he, he jumps out of the fridge and attacks yeah. him. So, so essentially, Inspector Clouseau has charged Cato, his butler, with the task of always trying to surprise him and like beat him in a fight. And that's how Inspector Clouseau trains. So he, he pops out and he has a fight with him. And there's this t- sort of running joke at the end of it where at the end of the fight sequence, he always has to answer the phone. First plays it in a shot in the dark and he does it six occasions. Uh, across the whole of the series, so he plays Cato in a lot of the films. In the, I always was surprised how many Pink Panther films there are because the knowledge that there's that many Pink Panther films really hasn't passed on to present day. I sometimes think back and go, there must be two or three, but yeah, there's quite a lot of them. So yeah, uh, as well as the uh, Pink Panther films, he also starred in a lot of TV stuff as well. 
Um, he was in the sort of stalwart things that we talk about. So things like Danger Man he was in. So he starred in the fiendish plot of Doctor Who Manchu with Peter Sellers, who references the fact that he's in the um, Pink Panther films. So as he says to him, your face is familiar. So it sort of references the fact that he already knows him from all those films. And they're, they're almost like a double act in a way in that era that you associate Peter Sellers with him um, in so many so many films that he's been in. He's he was in lots of sort of films, not not as famous as the ones that I've talked about. He's been he's starting quite a lot over his um, his career, and as I said, he was sort of the go to guy when it came to, to hiring Asian um, actors. But one thing that he's extremely famous for, and possibly one of the reasons why people see him in a Bond film and go, "That's Burt Kwok," is because of Harry Hill. And I told you I was going to mention Harry Hill <laughs> when you when you talked about him earlier. So in the Harry Hill show, he he plays this ongoing character he plays himself but in comedy scenes so he just turns up and you know if anybody's listening to this who knows harry hill it's ridiculous he just turn up and he'll just be like some old woman or something like that and harry hill just caught hey it's burke quark he comes in and as well as that he also did voiceovers for banzai and because of that then turned uh, did a lot of betting adverts for uh, bets 365 mm. i sort of remember those <laughs> Do you remember them? No, no, but yeah, I remember Banzai, and that is mad. That show. Yeah, yeah he just <laughs> he's just got picked up for all these things. Um, was that the Mister Shaky Hands man? Yeah, uh, he was also in uh, Last Summer Wine as a character called Electrical Entwistle. There yeah. you go, your favourite. Uh, yeah. It's not my favourite. What season? Season thirty-two is that? I, I hold it close. Uh, it's something I hold close to my heart. This, uh, um, I, I feel sorry for my uh, sorry American and Canadian and Australian listeners. There's probably a lot of references here that uh, oh, aren't yeah. going to make any sense. <laughs> just look up. Well, I'd say look up Harry Hill, but it's just going to confuse you. Um, yeah. Um, so as well as those things, other uh, you've got the Pink Panther films. He was also in Rollerball as a Japanese doctor in 1975. He was in Empire of the Sun. Um, he was in Air America. He was in Carry On Columbus. He was also in Fat Slags, playing the Dalai Lama. <laughs> Anyone listening to this who hasn't seen the Fat Slags, don't watch it. Um, on TV, he was in Hancock's Half Hour, The Avengers, The Champions, It Ain't Half Hotman, um, The Tomorrow People, Monkey Magic, Minder, Doctor Who, Hammer House of Mystery and Suspense, The House of Elliot, Lovejoy, and Space Precinct. So, put, puts puts Julian Glover to shame. Yeah, we uh, should yeah. just yeah, it should be. Yeah. Uh, then this should be the game, the Burke Quok game, yeah. rather than the Kevin Bacon <laughs> game. Should. Six degrees of Burke Quok. <laughs> yeah, I think nobody'd know anything though because it's quite hard to go through Lovejoy, Space Princeton, and the Tomorrow People <laughs> to get to anyone. I I can't believe we, you've mentioned Air America. I feel like we've mentioned Air America about fifteen times on this podcast so far. Yeah, I don't think I've ever watched it. Uh, so, talking a bit about Burt Kwok, the, the the best person to get quotes from about Burt Kwok is Harry Hill because he actually talks about Burt Kwok quite a lot and he had a very close relationship. So, Burt Kwok died in 2016. Harry Hill was actually, um, he, he was asked to sort of do a memorial thing for him. Um, he, uh, he talks about, I've got a few quotes from Harry Hill and they're all quite nice really because it's, um, you can kind of see that Harry Hill got me involved just because he really just liked working with him. Um, he says, I went to see him for the last time that he finally gave me the closest to an opinion on what Peter Sellers was really like. Simply, some days I liked him, some days I didn't like him, which probably tells you all you need to know. 
Um, he talks about him being a man of few words, but they're always very well-chosen words. And you really had to draw stuff out of him to get a good anecdote um, from him. Um, he, apparently, he was a massive smoker as well. He says that those films were his first love, smoking was his second, and he smoked up till the end. The person who did the costumes on the Harry Hill show used to sew secret pockets into the costumes so he could put uh, cigarettes and his lighter in there. Oh, my Um, God. And apparently his GP used to bring him 200 duty-free back when he went on a holiday, (laughs) even though he told him to stop smoking. Uh, He asked him about uh, the, the martial arts that he knew for the role of Cato in The Pink Panther, and he said, I don't know any martial arts. I always just made it up. And then he talked about uh, playing Japanese commandants and soldiers and and Chinese soldiers and even Koreans. He said, uh, you know, Harry, I sometimes wonder if the Second World War was fought just to keep me in work. And then in an interview in 2001, he talks a little bit about the Bond movies. And he says, uh, Bond movies are always great fun because everything about them is big, expensive and huge. The sets are big, the amount of money that's spent is huge. And the whole thing has a big atmosphere about it. And actors like doing that sort of thing. He talks a little bit about how uh, there's an interview online, actually, on YouTube where they sort of say, oh, do you, you know, do, do, do you like getting all the media attention? He's like, you know, you're an actor. Any actor who says they don't like getting the attention and moans about it, that they why are they an actor? Like, actors want attention. So he's quite honest about all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, so, yeah, that's Bert Kwok. He's, um, yeah, he's, he's an amazing man and well-remembered, but perhaps not for the right reasons. Yeah, an illustrious career. And um, he always, uh, there was another, I, don't, I haven't got the quote here, but Harry Hill was talking to him about um, all, all of the stuff that he got him to do in the Harry Hill show. And he said that Bert Kwok just didn't get it. Just didn't. He just he'd like say to him like, "I just it's just not funny. I just don't get it." But he'd do it, and Harry Hill always found it funny that he'd just do it and carry on with it. And like, it, and he was always really good. Like, he always thought he was like really in, in, involved in it and always like engaged. Just because he was, you know, a professional, and he just did what he was told. But at the end of the day, Harry was like, "Yeah, I don't know what. I don't know. It's not funny. I don't get it at all. I don't know why I'm doing this. <laughs> Didn't know who other characters were that he was playing." But yeah, amazing man. Um, and if you ever see a Bond film with him in. Give him a cheer. Or, uh, yeah, definitely. I think we might have to do the Quack cast after this. I'm, I'm definitely into delving into his, his career. Well, I do want to last us some more. <laughs> <laughs> K is for Koskoff, General Georgie Koskoff. He is in the living daylights and he is. he comes up with the scheme with the arms dealer, Brad Whitaker to take over the KGB. We're going to cover this. We'll cover the storyline and plot of Living Daylights when we get to it. So he, he gets... Uh, he tells the British Secret Service that he wants to defect, basically. And then he asks James Bond to protect him from uh, a KGB sniper who's been assigned to watch him. But in reality, Koskov, his defection is part of this plan to convince MI6 to assassinate Pushkin, who's the head of the KGB. So, yeah, you get get towards the end and then, you know, Bond figures it all out and he uh, he puts him in a bag and ships him off, doesn't he? He puts him in the a diplomatic pipeline, doesn't he? Yeah. Diplomatic pipeline, yeah. And that's where we go off to get ex- executed. Um, but, yeah, we'll cover him in The Living Daylights. But he's played by... All right, it's a Dutch actor, so... The pronunciation I apologise for. Jeroen Art Krabber, who was born in 1944 
Uh, he's been in quite quite a few films. He's a director and actor. Uh, in terms of Bond, he said, Bond is like a gold stamp in my passport as an actor. The only gold stamp in it. Not that that, it's been one of the most special productions. I've played in films that were more close to my heart and made films myself. But I think back on it with such fondness. But yeah, so what, what, what we, we're not doing Kevin Bacon on uh, Koshkov, are we? On Jorah and Crab? No. I, mean, I think it'd be pretty hard, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> So, our final instalment. Kate is for Kananga, Dr. Kananga, a.k.a. Mr. Big, played by Yafet Koto in Live and Let Die. So, another K there, Yafet Koto. He is uh, obviously the villain uh, in that film. He, uh, Koto himself was born in November 15th, 1939, and raised by his maternal grandparents. And he studied um, acting at the Actors Mobile Theatre Studio um, and he basically started his acting career on Broadway so uh, yeah stage star he is best known beyond Bond for starring in the NBC series Homicide Life on the Streets which he was in from 1993 to 1999 and he played Lieutenant Al Giard- he's also uh, well known for appearing in uh, Alien uh, obviously very memorable appearance in that film He's there when uh, the chest burster first comes out, William Hurt's chest. And he was also in The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger in 1987. He has had a few near misses in his career with some very famous roles. So he was linked with playing Han Solo uh, in the original Star Wars film. Apparently George Lucas suggested him for the film, but they obviously ended up with Harrison Ford. And then Irving Kirshner offered him the chance to play Lando Calrissian in Empire Strikes Back, which, uh, again, he didn't take. And then finally, he was offered the chance to play Jean-Luc Picard in Star Trek The Next Generation. Again, an opportunity Mm. he turned down. Mm. So uh, we will cover um, Yafet Koto and and, and Kanango in much more detail and Live and Let Die. But... So Cotto sadly died a few years back, but um, before he did, he were, uh, he spoke to Big Issue in 2015 and uh, did an interview. And he was asked about James Bond being uh, recast with a non-white um, or a black actor. And Cotto said, James Bond cannot be black. Political correctness be damned. We have to stay with what is literally correct. He was established by Ian Fleming as a white character played by white actors. It's silly. Play 003 or 006, but you cannot be 007. A lot of people say we should be allowed to play everything. Don't be ridiculous. I say, if I want to play JFK, I should be laughed out of the room. Why should James Bond be black? It's silly. Um, And obviously, I mean, James Bond's a fictional character. That's why it's different to JFK, (laughs) but um, slightly different. But what his response to that was is, I don't think it's right for black actors or writers to do roles that whites have made historically white heroic roles. These roles are not written for black men. Black men should stop trying to play white heroes. We have pens, put a black man in a role that no one else has established. So uh, obviously that sort of echoes what um, Barbara Broccoli has said about James Bond being a woman as well. So he Mm. makes a lot of interesting points there. I don't know if... um, yeah, I think I, I don't think he's completely wrong. Um, it's, just, I, I, it's probably, a, you know, the point that he said that he was probably accurate, but things change, don't they? Yeah, they do. They do. Right. So final Kevin Bacon of the night. Yafet Koto. Who wants to go first? I, did, I couldn't get it. I got halfway and then gave up. Well, oh, I, got, I, I also got halfway and then and then needed a bit of uh, Wikipedia-ing to sort of help finish finish get my last 
jigsaw piece. I'm afraid. Well, the only thing, the way that my men, my my process was, the only thing I really know that Yafet Kotto was in that would have other people in that I could use was Alien. Right. Yeah, and that's the route from, I went down. And then from Alien, I went for the sort of big big group ensemble, which was Ghostbusters Two. Yeah. Uh, it was Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, that's where and I went. And then I couldn't think of anyone. I couldn't think of any links from there. Well, that's that's the route I went, and with a bit of uh, snooping around. I found Bill Murray had a cameo at the end of the credits in She's Having a Baby. Oh, that doesn't count. Wow. But, you know... if That's you... not in the spirit of Six six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yafet Kotto, come on. Yafet Kotto was in Midnight Run. Right. With Robert De Niro, who was in Sleepers with right, okay. Kevin Bacon. So, uh, yeah. not the, it wasn't the most difficult one, but... Well, un- unlike Brendan, I refuse to look at Wikipedia when I do these things. <laughs> uh, oh. Oh, but I've got I've got I've got a bonus though. Go on. If you if you didn't accept she's having a baby, which you're clearly not. If not, you go with wild things instead. Which well, you researched this, didn't you? No, this is no. Well, right, I did research. Yeah, I researched it. I haven't seen it, but I needed it because I didn't I didn't get there. But the point is, I got wild things, which is Bill Murray and Kevin Bacon. But you get the bonus of Denise Richards. So surely. Come on. Is that a bonus? Yeah, that is on the James Bond podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right, okay. Well. Well, that wraps up the letter K. Um, going by the alphabet, our next episode will be the letter L, which um, we'll do a letter episode and then we'll open it up to a whole world of possibilities under that. We've got Lays and B, we've got Live and Let Die. It's going to be... Uh, an epic few episodes to come uh, but thank you so much for listening if people want to get in touch with the show how do they get us on email podcast at jamesbondaz.co.uk and on social media at jamesbondaz on instagram twitter and facebook so while we go off and listen to cooler shaker and watch um but Quark, harry hill harry hill whilst, of- whilst eating a banana well, he's a banana. Yes, it uh, just leaves me to say that the James Bond A to Z podcast will return next week. Thank you all. Ciao. The James Bond A to Z podcast features Tom Butler, Brendan Duffy, and Tom Wheatley. The podcast was produced by Tom Wheatley, with music by Tom Ingomels, and artwork supplied by Helen Dolly. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.